This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Hayward City Council Member-elect Aisha Wahab. Thanks for coming on and congrats on winning your election. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me too. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So what exactly does the City Council do and why should it matter to millennials? The City Council, for the most part, takes care of a lot of things from the potholes in your neighborhood streets to... Uh, traffic lights to what types of businesses should be coming into your city. And it can do a lot more. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to run for Hayward City Council is because I truly believe that um, everything around your life from housing to, um, you know, partnerships and opportunities in your city is the duty of your city council member to actually try to help and make sure that, you know, you guys are in the right fit for a healthy community. And how how have you run your campaign? What was the experience like and what issues were you focusing on? Um, my primary issues were um, affordable housing at all income levels. Um, I truly believe housing is a human right. And the fact that we are in the Bay Area, we know just in the news that it's so hard to even um, with working professionals to have a roof over your head. Um, So that was my number one issue. My secondary issue was economic development. Um, I'll be honest with you, running was very much a scary thing. You put yourself out there. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of unknown. And you really don't have anybody you can turn to realistically that has necessarily been in your shoes and is running. And especially if you're a millennial, um, you're not taken as seriously. So we ran into a lot of challenges, but we were overcoming them with each one that came forward. And do you believe that the other members of city council are going to be strong allies with you on these issues? To be completely honest with you, um, I have my reservations and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. And, um, and definitely, definitely planning for the worst. The reality is that I wouldn't have run if I felt that the entire council was, you know, going to advocate on the same issues the way I would. Um, if that was the case, I would have just ignored city council and just, you know, felt that they were well suited to advocate for those issues. However, the real reason um, I decided to run is primarily because I didn't actually feel that um my city council members were really representing me for my best interest you know i am the only renter on hayward city council i'm the only millennial on hayward city council that really says a lot considering the fact that the average age of a hayward resident is 34 years old and i i'm under that um i really want hayward to really embrace being an education city being a city where um you can afford a roof over your head and um, have uh, different opportunities to make sure that you and your family are, like I said, healthy and successful. How confident do you feel going into this session about completing your goals? 
I haven't been sworn in yet. And, um, you know, I've been reading everything and, and trying to understand the internal process. And um, to be honest with you, there's not a lot of transparency in the internal process. And, and I've already sent emails and questions. And I, I really don't want to necessarily be blocked in what I want to do. I think that, to be completely honest, the, the the ideas that I have are very, very much for the community. I, I hope to gain some allies and some supporters within the council and, and change their opinion on some of the issues that we talk about. But um, right now, I'm, I'm a little hesitant, a little nervous, and a little worried as to how much can I get done if there's a lack of transparency and a lack of clarity on exactly how to get things done, um, from putting things on the agenda to uh, really talking about the issues and having a healthy debate. And how exactly does city government interact with state government? Every city is different. And even putting something on the agenda, as I mentioned earlier, is very different in each city. And I have colleagues and friends that um, have our city council members in other cities, some larger than us, some smaller than us. And um, the reality is that it depends on the city and the budget and the investment that they want to make. So, for example, Hayward in particular, has um, a lot of uh, consultants and advisors and and, uh, lobbyists that really inform the city on what's happening in the state. They they inform the city manager, they inform, you know, um, the city council members as to what's going on. That's not to say that that's the direction that we would want to take. Um, They just provide the information, but we really end up making the decisions on a local level. Um, and some people, because of the lack of, um, you know, time and, and, um, the fear tactics that in politics that are being used, people make decisions that are not probably in the best interest of the larger community. And, um, there's a lot of misinformation out there and you could even tell based on our ballot measures and, you know, the fact that it's legal to basically completely lie about um, the effects of one uh, one proposition over another. These are the things that are really, really difficult to shake in politics. Um, it, it's a tough call, but you know you have to make the best decision based on the information you're given at the time, and and that's that's something to always be aware of. And could you tell us a little bit more about the major ballot measures? Um, so Prop Ten, for example, was the repeal of Costa Hawkins. Um, and uh, it did not pass in the state, although in the county, people were supportive of it, in Alameda County in particular. Um, and I think it's because, you know, throughout the state, we have different issues and different concerns. And then in, uh, you know, Prop 8 regarding the dialysis, um, you know, that that also did not pass. You know, my father had dialysis for many, many years. So I'm, I'm very well aware of the situation in dialysis centers and things like that. But if, if you take a look at even local measures, for example, we had measured that was on the ballot that uh, increased the retail transfer tax. And, you know, you had real estate agents um, not supporting it primarily because it does increase the cost of selling a home um, and buying a home at that. But um, that increase in that transfer tax allows for the city of Hayward to actually be in uh, up to par with some of our surrounding cities in how much we charge. And those funds actually go back to the city. So it's important for the city. So we are able to kind of maintain our services and and things like that. But, um, you know, it's also stated that it it will hurt um, the purchase prices of selling a home and and, um, purchasing power too. 
So taxes are a pretty controversial issue in your state and in the world right now, not just between right and left, but within the left, within liberal circles. In France, for example, we're seeing mass protests over regressive taxes that disproportionately put the burden on working people rather than the upper class. What is that situation like in California, particularly with the backlash against the gas tax? The reality is that um, I think that I'm not a big fan of regressive tax measures. I, I genuinely do not like regressive tax measures. And I think that that's why on the larger scale of um, anything being discussed, people always talk about taxing the rich fairly and taxing the poor fairly. The situation with the gas tax is that most people who drive, let's say, have blue collar working lives and you know they're spending more money because they're traveling further and further out um from the bay area to work and um it's it's getting to become a burden and you don't really see the impact in our highways do we get an extra lane due to this do we get any there's nothing tangible in a lot of people's minds now within the democratic party circles you know democratic party has historically been known to tax people while republicans are seen as less taxing, less government involved in business, things like that. Now, I truly believe that there has to be an equal balance. And that's really the problem is, is the the type of information that's being spread needs to be truthful. The, the measures, you know, there has to be some type of way to show that's why when you ever see construction in cities, and it says, this development or this road was um, repaved due to your tax measure you know, A, B, or C. The reason why people do that is to show that your tax dollars are, are at work. Um, and it's getting harder and harder to show that, especially in far more overpopulated areas like the Bay Area, where, you know, driving tends to be such a difficulty, and yet public transportation is still not up to par with some of the other metropolitan areas in uh, the, the country or even in other countries. So I think, it, I think it's a hard balance to find the reason why we need to tax versus the real effects of what your tax dollars are doing more and more. And that's the big battle. Hey, everyone. I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day, I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. Perhaps the biggest issue of this election cycle was 
healthcare. What is the state of healthcare in your state? <laughs> healthcare is one of the biggest um, concerns for any family in particular. The state of California did have um, a bill uh, that would provide single payer healthcare access to um, all Californians. And it has been fought against um, within the state legislature. Um, the The big concern is that we know that healthcare is one of the most costly spends in our families. Whether you're getting older and you're having more health conditions, whether you are building your family, whether you know something of an emergency happens to you, uh, one of the greatest costs for families is healthcare. And I think that we see it on a national level too. Um, the Affordable Care Act. It was something that was very much needed. It's very much uh, not the most perfect system, but it is something that um, we need to invest more in. And if you really take a look on um, a national level, uh, single payer was actually cheaper than our current system. And so you would assume that both Republicans and Democrats would support something like that to be more cost effective. But with special interest, it's it's very difficult to do what's right for the larger community. I think that's one of the biggest problems in discussing issues. It's um, we're very much into red versus blue, um, how much money rather than how can we actually help people. And for me, that's something that I always ask before anything is like, will this help people or will this hurt people? And I usually try to go after how much I can help people. And with a Democratic trifecta, a Democratic governor who supports single payer, what do you think the chances are of making real progress on this in the coming years? Well, um, if you talk to certain politicos, if you will, um, the the support of single payer is very questionable based on who you're talking about. I think that we could have gotten this done within the last two years. Uh, we do still have in California a Democratic majority. Now, the situation is that I do believe with our incoming governor, I think Go Governor Newsom um, will definitely be pushing the boundaries. He has a reputation for doing so. And I think that it will make a lot of people uncomfortable. But I also am hoping that... Um, you know, we get some things done for families overall. One of the things he talked about the most is even early childcare um, uh, support and development. And um, those are the issues that we really need to talk about is how can we help people? So I'm, I'm very happy to see that in, in the next coming years that we have a very positive bills being signed and hopefully uh, single payer is one of them. So you mentioned earlier the politics of hate, fear tactics. You faced a lot of racism on your campaign. You are now the first Afghan-American woman ever elected to public office in the U.S. What struggles did you face on the campaign trail with racism, and how did you handle that? Um, early on in, in the race, I, I genuinely would get upset. Um, one, primarily, I have a very racially ambiguous look. Um, so I actually faced racism because people thought I was uh, Latino or Mexican. Um, I faced racism because people assumed I was Indian. I faced racism because people thought I was Arab or even Persian. The reality is that so I got a brunt of racism that's not even based on my own ethnicity. So that was first off the most interesting thing. Um, and eventually, as you go through the campaign cycle, and as you deal with this more and more, you do develop thicker skin. By the end of the campaign cycle, I was kind of like, 
I'm over this. This is the dumbest question I've ever heard. I would never obviously um, go into it with the individuals that are asking, but I would always answer their questions. So my last name is Wahab, for example. It's a very um, Muslim last name. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of questions, uh, very ignorant questions. Um, I was asked many times, do you believe in Sharia law or um, do you want to live by that? Or do you follow Louis Farrakhan? And these are all obviously knows. Um, and I would answer every single email because I believe it's my duty to one, educate an individual like that. And number two, um, I would never receive another question from that individual regarding my response. So that was always very eye-opening. And, and it does take a lot of time out of your day to actually respond to some of these questions that you think are just completely stupid. It's also... You know, as an Afghan American, one of the things that I've, I was always told by other elected officials and politicos that don't say you're Afghan, don't say you're Afghan American. And I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm running with all of me. I want people to be comfortable with hearing that somebody's Afghan American. And we have a very smaller community. And so smaller communities are often overlooked and uh, misunderstood. To me, like I said, it's my duty to educate. And if I have a platform where I can actually speak up and speak out and educate, I will use it. So that was my approach to it. And I think that that gave me more confidence in answering those types of questions and saying, no, I think you're wrong. These are the situations. So um, the fact that people are misinformed is something that uh, I wanted to correct. And how are you going to fight for racial justice as a member of city council? Hayward is one of the most diverse cities in the state. And um, I want to work for all people. And I will be working with all people. So I, I want to make sure that I know different people's issues and see where we can actually come together. And the reality is, at the end of the day, all people want the same things for their families. And that is the access to jobs, access to education, access to a roof over their head. These are the core values and and things that people want and that's my primary goal in regards to racial justice is having them have a voice and being heard that's the first step of any type of racial justice um after that action items you know it depends on what the situation is and what we can do um and i'm more than happy to work with with them to make sure that things happen for them and you mentioned making people in power uncomfortable. That's not something we hear politicians, elected officials say a lot, but it's a really big strategy we see from activists. We're seeing it with the Sunrise Movement fighting for the Green New Deal in Washington right now. How are you going to work with activists and stay connected with these people who are working to make those in power uncomfortable? Um, the reality is it's the issues. It, it, we need to kind of drop our egos. And in politics, um, a lot of people have egos and they're very, very petty. I really don't care. For example, I was asked by many, many people um, in political circles, where will you sit? How, how, how close will you be sitting to the mayor? To me, I could care less. You know, you could literally put a chair behind the mayor. And um, I'm happy with that as long as we can discuss the issues. And we need to get back to the issues. And activists are some of the most well-informed individuals on those particular subjects. So if you have housing rights activists, if you have um, you know, social justice activists, if you have climate ac activists, those are the people that you need to listen to and you need to talk to, but then also to see how we can actually strategize. And incremental change 
and um, reaching an overall bigger goal is a way to make sure that you are going in the right path. Now, change doesn't happen overnight. We know that. Um, it's something that we have to get comfortable with, um, especially as millennials that we want kind of like overnight change. Um, and it's something that I'm just trying to absorb myself. The reason why people are uncomfortable is because there's a lot of money and a lot of rhetoric in the opposite direction. So if, if the opposing argument is putting time, effort and money, the activist groups that are, um, supportive in the sense of like, uh, the Green New Deal or anything like that, that we need to, as activists, actually change the way we, we, um, interact with politicians as well. There's a lot of, for example, there's a lot of arguments um, to be had in the sense that, um, a lot of activists feel that they shouldn't even talk to elected officials and they shouldn't, um, talk to policy and change makers. The reality is we need to, we need to be in their ear just as much as anybody else is in their ear. And that, that's, that's another tactic that we will be using. Um, and a lot of people have told me already from day one that now that you're elected, you can't be this organizer activist person. Um, you have to change up your approach. And I said, no, this is the reason why I got elected because people know that about me. People know that I want to do good. Um, you know, I've already been hearing horror stories of, um, from other friends that have been elected throughout the nation that were activists and organizers and said that you will be, um, stabbed in the back by staff, that you will be stabbed in the back by, um, you know, these, um, your colleagues, um, that trust is super, super delicate. So that is something that I'm, now learning how to navigate. I have not even been sworn in, but it is something on my mind. Um, and I think transparency is one of the greatest tools that we have. Um, but uh, like I said, you know, you have to balance that with other people's egos and, and some of the petty things that come around. But knowing that these are the issues that you care about, these are the people you want to help, and these are um, the ways to go about it is something that, you know, you just have to be aware of. And speaking of talking to elected officials, how can folks get in touch with you and where can they find you online? Um, so I have Aisha Wahab, A-I-S-H-A-W-A-H-A-B as in boy dot com. You know, you can also email me all the links connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I do actually respond to as many uh, messages as possible. You know, I, I want to be as open to people as possible. I have my direct number that's out and available for people. It's 510-863-1545. I am not afraid to have conversation. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking to us. Thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate this. Yeah, of course. And lastly, to our listeners, to stay up to date with the Millennial Politics Podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Follow us on social media and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.